you know what? It's really fun to be here. Y'all know that theme music. What's up, what's up, what's up, what's up? How are we doing? How are we doing? And welcome to episode number 79 of the Banner Banter Podcast. I'm your host and favorite Boston Celtics season ticket holder, Timmy G. How are we doing? What's going on? Happy playoffs. The chase to Banner 18 starts tonight at 6.30 p.m. If you are listening on Monday, if you're listening tomorrow, well, you'll have two podcasts because you'll have this one and moving forward i will have a podcast after every single celtics playoff game giving you a little recap giving you a preview to the next game what the celtics should be doing shouldn't be doing etc etc but before we begin you know you can always find me on the twitter machine at banner banter 18 or on facebook and instagram at banner banter podcast i'm very excited for the podcast this week i'm going to give you a lot of information so take out a pen and paper take down some notes etc etc maybe even write down my predictions let's see if i'm right who knows but before we start the playoffs let's recap the bubble overall the celtics had two games Last week, they finished 5-3 and three in the seeding games in the bubble. They beat Memphis 122-107, to 107, and then they lost to the Washington Wizards 96-90. to 90. The Memphis game was a great team effort by everyone, really. It didn't start off that great, but they definitely flipped the switch quickly when the Celtics went on a 22-4 run. And this was helped by defensive rotations, cutting corners, for the offensive players they try to get to a spot you cut them off and then they flew at all the shooters like dylan brooks and grayson allen etc etc the ball movement was also huge for this team because it's absolutely crazy when you think about it the first three games for the celtics first two or three games they averaged 19 assists per game the last five they averaged 29.3 that is a huge difference and when you think about how poorly they played in their first few games in the bubble and then you look at how well they they played in their last five games in the bubble that is a huge huge difference so if that ball moving can continue into the playoffs that'll be huge i know i talk about ball movement a lot it's just because when i thought i was good at basketball back in my heyday like june yeah i feel like junior year was probably my best year of basketball I was a point guard, and I love to just pass the ball and zip it around, especially against a 2-3 zone, etc., etc. But some of the other quick notes from that final, uh, from the Grizzlies game, was Jason Tatum went off. He went 10-13 from the field, dropped 29 points. He was getting great looks, hitting those shots, and gaining even more confidence heading into the playoffs, which is exactly what you need. Because it's crazy to think that, you know, Jason Tatum went, what, 2-18, of 2-15, whatever the hell it was, and then his final game in the seeding games for the bubble he goes 10 of 13 because none of the starters played in the washington wizards game um but just to backstep real quick to the grizzlies game still Jalen didn't shoot the ball that well especially from three but he's been shooting the ball so well from three you knew he was going to have a bad game but 
he's shooting the three-point ball at a very, very good rate. And I'm going to talk about in the first round of the series where Jalen Brown's shooting could be more important than you actually think it, it needs to be. And I'll talk about that in a little bit. Uh, some of the other things that uh, stuck out to me during that Grizzlies game, Cantor looked good, Time Lord looked good. They combined for 21 points and 15 boards. Cantor just... It's unbelievable how he can keep possessions alive. It's so key sometimes. Even if he just punches the ball out, you know, Marcus Smart catches it like up in the air being like a magician or an acrobatic, whatever the case may be. But Cantor keeping the ball alive, giving the Celtics second chance opportunities is huge. And because we're talking about Ennis Cantor so much, we might as well play Cantor uh, banter. So hit the music. He's a man who loves to get a double-double, but when it comes to the Turkish government, he's in a lot of trouble. It's time for Cantor banter, baby. Wow! Okay, Cantor Banter, always a classic. Hopefully we'll get more of that in the second, or I'm sorry, the first round of the playoffs because in this, if the Celtics do advance, he that might be the last Cantor Banter of the season. But we'll see. One series at a time, you know. Um, the Grizzlies, just finally, they were in the playoff or the play-in game for the eighth seed against the Portland Trailblazers, and they lost. And because of that, the Memphis Grizzlies will now have the 14th pick in the draft, which means most likely... There's like a 97% chance that the Celtics will have the 14th pick from the Memphis Grizzlies from the Memphis Grizzlies from the Memphis Grizzlies in this year's upcoming draft which is taking place in October versus June. Now, if it is a top 6 protected. So, there's like a that 3% chance that the Grizzlies finish first, second, third or fourth in the draft, they get that pick and then it will be the Celtics pick next year unprotected the positives about the grizzlies getting one two three or four let's say it's protected the west is going to be absolutely stacked next year the suns are going to be better they won eight no in the bubble the trailblazers are going to be much better they're definitely not going to be the eight seed they were hurt all year with injuries and if you actually think about it they actually have a couple guys like trevor ariza for example that are not in the bubble right now so they would be even better the Warriors are going to get Steph Curry and Klay Thompson back, so they're going to be even better. The Pelicans should be better. Pelicans just got rid of their coach, Alan Gentry. Rumors are that Jason Kidd or Tyron Lue are going to be filling in or for Alan Gentry. They could be hired. It'll be interesting if Jason Kidd does. I feel like Jason Kidd really got Giannis Antetokounmpo to that all-star MVP type level before he was let go, and then Mike Budenhoser came in, so that will be very interesting to see. But if the Celtics do pick this year, last year they picked 14th, and we'll talk about who they picked 14th in probably about two minutes, if not less, because I really want to get into this. But I have two guys. We'll talk more once I do my usual NBA draft preview. We will talk more about these two guys, but I want, whether it's the 14th pick, the 26th pick, or the 30th pick, I don't think the first guy I'm going to mention will get past 16. The second guy I'm going to mention could slide to 26, and I think it will be an absolute steal for the Celtics. But the Celtics have the 14th, 26th, and 30th pick in the NBA draft in October. Sadiq Bey from Villanova, 6'8", small forward, power forward, can score the ball off the dribble. He would be delightful on this team. Think about Grant Williams' height, but can score the ball like Jalen Brown. Okay, that's Sadiq Bey. 
And then the one that I really want is Daniel Oturu. I, I just want to be able to say that on the podcast. But seriously, Daniel Oturu is basically a more athletic, bigger Ennis Cantor. Can rebound, can score, very good in the paint, has good hands, etc., etc. He's from Minnesota. Look him up. O-T-U-R-U. Oturu. That's what I need. That's what I want. If the, if Cantor doesn't come back next year and we have Oturu as a segment, um, I'm beyond down with that. But Sadiq Bey, Daniel Oturu, that's the possibility, for maybe, for me, the happiness, hopefully, for the Boston Celtics in the draft. Okay. One last game to uh, recap. The Washington Wizards game wasn't anything special. Uh, you would you were hoping that some guys uh, could step up and maybe get some extra playoff time, like Grant Williams or the Time Lord or Shemi, whatever the case may be, because the starting five didn't play. Tice, Hayward, Brown, Tatum, Walker, and Marcus Smart didn't play the play in that game. But shout out to uh, oh man, what's his name? Thomas Bryant. Thomas Bryant. That boy dominated the Celtics in the fourth quarter. The Celtics were up two with like seven minutes to go, and then he just took over the game. Wizards won. They went out winning. They finished the bubble one and seven because they went into it zero oh and seven. So they get the one win. The Time Lord looked good again. He hit eight out of his nine free throws in the bubble. I feel like his touch is getting a little bit better. He's playing smarter. He's being more confident. He can really help this team in the playoffs. I really and truly do. I'm not. I'm not expecting him to give us ten and eight and three blocks every night. I'm just expecting him to play decent bench basketball in the playoffs. Just something you can trust, something you can respect, and something you can enjoy. And we'll get into that a little bit. But the stud and dud of the week. I based basically on this game because sure you could say the dud was Jalen Brown this week with the way that he shot the ball in the Grizzlies game and. You know, the stud is Jason Tatum, but those guys are probably going to get stud and dud in the upcoming weeks. Well, I hope it's not Jason or Jalen getting dud, but you get what I'm trying to say. So the stud of the week is, I guess you're just going to have to wait, and here's the jingle. And now, it is time for the Celtics stud and the Celtics dud of the week. Okay, so the stud of the week is Javante Green. Javante Green didn't play in the Grizzlies game, but he sure as hell played in the Wizards game. He came in and dropped 23 points, shot the three ball very well. Yes, the Wizards sucked, but he took advantage of an opportunity. He showed a lot of improvement. He's not going to get a lot of playoff minutes unless it's a blowout. I'm not expecting it, but it was good to see his growth because if you actually think about it, Javante Green and Max Struss were going to be the last two guys on the roster. It was either going to be Javante or Max. They cut Max, gave it to Javante, and Javante has grown a great deal. We all know how he can jump through the building. He's super athletic. We could go on and on about all the great athletic features that he has, but as a basketball player, he has improved a lot, and for his three-point shot to drop like that and for him to score 23 points, whether it's against the Wizards or not, was a great thing to see. And the dud of the week is Romeo Langford, who had an opportunity and did nothing. Sure, he had a couple nice drives to the hoop, we should be patient because you eventually finish some. But but like at this point, Willie, not 30 minutes, only nine shots, shot 33% and had four assists. But then after the game, you find out that he has a torn ligament in his wrist. So you're like, oh my God, this kid is getting hurt again. How, how, how does he do this? How does he keep getting hurt? Because it's driving me crazy. But when you actually look at it, I went back and looked to see a, his injury history. His junior year in high school, 
he had a finger injury. His senior year, he had a different injury, a, a different finger injury. Freshman year of college, we all knew he injured his thumb. He played through it. I respect that. Props to him. I will give him that. And then he missed the summer league due to his thumb injury so they could recreate the jumper. Remember the ping pong paddle thing? And then he had a groin injury in September, a knee injury in October, an ankle injury in November, came back from the ankle injury, got another ankle injury in December, missed the first game of the bubble over a stomach issue, and now has a wrist injury on his shooting hand. And this was the guy you selected at the 14th pick of the of the NBA draft in 2019. Can you believe that? Absolutely crazy. But then when you look at the the Grizzlies game against the Celtics, Brandon Clark. Yeah, that's right. We're talking about him again. S- literally, 7 of 14 from the field, 15 points, 6 boards. And you're like, okay, well, how does he do in clutch situations like the playing game against the Portland Trailblazers? Oh, 20 points, 4 boards, 3 assists, and 8 of 11 from the field. I don't get it. I don't get it. I don't get the love for Romeo Langford. Oh, great. He can attack the basket, but he can't. He can barely hit his free throws. Oh, sure. He's a great defensive player. We don't need that right now. You know what you need right now? Literally, Brandon Clark, someone like him, someone you can trust more than Grant Williams, someone who's more athletic than Grant Williams, someone who is bigger height-wise than Grant Williams. You know who Brandon Clark could guard in this upcoming playoff series? Al fucking Horford. Okay. Now, Al Horford hasn't been playing great with the 76ers, we all know, but Al Horford, I promise you, will go off in one of these upcoming playoff games with the 76ers, and Brandon Clark could mess around with him. He could be athletic, he could spread the floor, he can hit shots, he can rebound the ball, he passes the ball too, and then he can score 20 points. Unbelievable. Um, this is probably the last time I mention Romeo Langford. Now, Romeo Langford, is he going to get surgery again? Yeah, and guess what? It's, the, it's his wrist that he shoots with. So we're going to have to recreate his jumper all over again. And by the time he gets his wrist surgery, and if the NBA does come back in December, again, I don't think it will, just because of everything that's going on in the world, guess what? He's not going to be here for the start of the season. So you know who can be? Sadiq Bey or Daniel Oturu. Hopefully that will be the case. Because if Sadiq Bey can step right in, he's taller, he's bigger, he's more athletic, and he can shoot better. Enjoy the bench, Romeo, and then we wasted a lottery pick. Unbelievable. Un- unbelievable. But with that being said, we always have Coach Brad Stevens here to coach these guys up, and hopefully Romeo can grow and be the player that everyone wants him to be because Brad Stevens is going to be here for a very, very long time. Coach Stevens got an extension Again, he's already been with the team for seven years, which is absolutely bananas when you think about it. It really and truly is when when you think about it, that Brad Stevens has been with this team for seven years. He's going to get extended. The details haven't been um, mentioned yet by the media, by the Celtics, whatever the case may be. So he could be, it could be a one-year extension, could be a five-year extension. We don't know. Now, why did the Celtics do this? I don't know. There's plenty of different options that can be brought up. For me, I think the Celtics did it because I love Brad Stevens, and I love everything about him. I really do. I mean, his wife is his agent. That is badass right then and there. That's great to see. It really is. Do they realize that Brad's just a great coach, but it's really all about the players, so whatever? Sure. Maybe the Celtics think that way. Do they think Brad can control any locker room after what happened with Kyrie? Almost kind of gave him an extension because I'm like literally out of breath because of that Romeo uh, Langford rant. So sorry about that. But like, do you think the Celtics just 
gave Brad Stevens an extension because they're like, dude, you dealt with all that Kyrie stuff and some of the players are still here and they actually still like being here. Thanks so much. Here's an extension. Did they do it to help Jason Tatum stay? Maybe Jason Tatum loves playing for Brad Stevens, doesn't want to play for anyone else. Celtics are hoping to extend uh, Jason Tatum next summer, so maybe that could be it. But it will be really interesting when the details do come out. Either way, I'm happy for CBS, you know, Coach Brad Stevens. I'm very happy for him and everything that he's done with the team. Bring bring me more quarter zips. Bring me more golf polos. I'm here for it. I'm ready to go. All right? So that's it. So extension done, stud and dud done, recapping last week's game, canter banter's done. And now we can get into the first round playoff preview against the Philadelphia 76ers, which I'm assuming is why everyone is listening to this podcast and not my Romeo Langford uh, rant. So here are the list of games. Game one and game two will be Monday and Wednesday of this week at 6.30 p.m. C's will be the home, the quote-unquote home team. Games three and four will be Friday at 6.30 and then Sunday at 1 p.m. and the 76ers will be the home team then. Game five, Celtics home team. Game 6, 76ers home team. Game 7, Celtics home team. Those games will be on August 25th, the 27th, and the 29th, but the times have yet to be determined because you know how NBA is with their ratings and the TV stuff and all that. So let's... I didn't really know how to attack this because do I just go right into it or do I want to recap some of the things that the 76ers did well and some of the things that the Celtics did well during the regular season to see if those things will carry over or are we just saying screw everything and let's just focus on how we're playing in the bubble. So I'm going to do both because I got a lot of time on my hands with this pandemic and I'm sure a lot of you do too. So why don't you sit down, get comfy, hit pause if you want. Like if you need to get up, get a drink, get something to eat, go right ahead. I'll give you a second. Okay, great. All right. So early, early in the regular season, the 76ers won the series three games to one. In October, the 76ers won 107 to 93. In December, they won 115 to 109. In January, they also won 109 to 98. And then most recently in February, the Celtics blew them out of the water and won 116 to 95. And that game was at TD Garden. The October game was the very first game of the season where they lost 107 to 93. And this was opening night for Ennis Cantor opening night for Campbell Walker, opening night for Al Horford, you know, brand new teams, brand new situations. And actually, Ennis Cantor got the start in this game. And it didn't go that great for Kemba and Jalen. They combined for 7 out of 23 from the field. The Celtics did start off strong, but then they got destroyed in the third quarter. Notice that that's a trend to the Trailblazers game and the first two or three minutes of the Raptors game, but they actually got their shit back together and moved on. And then they got absolutely destroyed on the boards, and there was... Less than 20 assists in the game. No ball movement whatsoever. So right then and there, a bunch of negatives. Cantor started 7 of 23 for Jalen and Kemba, and they got destroyed on the boards. The December game was the first, uh, the second night of a back-to-back. They were in Indy the night before. This is a game that they lost by 6. Al Horford and Shake Milton did not play. Those two guys could be starters for this team. I'm expecting the 76ers to start Shake Milton... Josh Richardson, Tobias Harris, um, Mattis Thibel, and Joel Embiid. And I think Al Horford's going to come off the bench. I think. Because I think Brett Brown's going to put Mattis Thibel on uh, either Kemba or Jason Tatum. And I'll get to that in a little bit. But in this game, the Celtics once again got destroyed on the boards. Jason Tatum and Jalen Brown combined for 8 
of 27 from the field. That is not going to win you a game in the bubble. That is not going to win you a game in the regular season. And that sure as hell isn't going to win you a game in the playoffs. Cantor and Tice, on the other hand, they had great games. Cantor and Tice, 17 out of 24 from the field, 36 points, 14 boards. But they did allow Joel Embiid to drop 38 points. And I feel like that is going to happen. And the other thing that might happen is these kind of fluke games from 76ers bench guys like Mike Scott. Mike Scott hit five three-pointers in this game. He went five of seven from the field, and he went five of seven from three. That's right. He took seven shots, all of them are three-pointers, and he made five of them. And he's also shooting 53% from three inside the bubble. So he's shooting at a very good rate of three-pointers in the bubble. And it'll be very interesting to see if Brad puts Grant Williams on him or the Time Lord on him to see if maybe the Time Lord can get out and maybe block one of his three-point shots, but that will also make the Time Lord go away from the paint, which really isn't ideal. So it'll be interesting to see how Brett Brown and Brad Stevens kind of play chess doing that. The January game was another back-to-back game. That's right. The Celtics played the, oh God, who did they play? The San Antonio Spurs the night before. This was a Wednesday game, and then it was Thursday night game on TNT against the 76ers. Yes. So this was probably one of the more frustrating games of the year for the Celtics. The Celtics were up nine after one. They were up seven after two. They were up three after three. And then they lost the fourth quarter by 14 points. Yep, that's right. And then Jalen Brown and Gordon Hayward, they combined for six out of 23. This was one of those games where Marcus Marcus Smart was huge. He had five three-pointers and three big-time steals. Was second-leading scorer of the team. Kemba played very well. This was easily Kemba's best game against the 76ers. He dropped 26 points. And then Watermaker did not play. So there was 62 minutes played between Kemba and Marcus Smart. It's a lot of minutes for both of them, but it's a lot of minutes that we might be seeing for both of them in the playoffs as well. And then uh, once again, guess what? This was also in my notes. The Celtics lost the rebound battle by double digits to Joel. Oh, yeah, sorry. The Celtics lost the rebound battle by double digits, and Joel and B didn't play in the game. That's how bad the Celtics are rebounding against the 76ers, that Joel and B didn't play, and they lost the rebound battle by double digits. So, the February game, where they wiped him out of the floor, there was no Kemba, no Cantor, but there was also no Josh Richardson for the 76ers. This is the game where Embiid went 1-11, had five rebounds. Everyone thought Joel Embiid didn't care about this game, even though the Celtics still lost the rebounding battle. Jalen went nuts in this game. He dropped 32 points. And what was crazy about it is he actually shot 1 of 10 from 3, but he also had 9 rebounds. Brad Wanamaker was very good in this game. Grant Williams was very good in this game. So those you can use those positives and apply them into this series. Now, what were some of the trends that I noticed in those five, in those four games? That I noticed a handful of trends. The first is the Celtics got destroyed on the boards. That has to change. If the Celtics lose a rebounding battle by seven or eight points, I get it. The the 76ers are bigger, they're longer, they're more physical. I get it all. I'm not saying they have more heart. All I'm saying is they're just a better rebounding team, and it's okay to admit that. But you cannot lose the rebounding battle by 12 or 13 rebounds. Six, seven rebounds, I'm okay with, and that's what the Celtics have to do. They lost each game in rebounds by an average of 12. You cut that down to six, 
and you're going to have yourself a very good series against the Philadelphia 76ers. Another thing that really stuck out was Jalen Brown's poor shooting. He shot 8 out of 24 in the three losses against the Philadelphia 76ers. If he can drop 20 a night and shoot the ball as well as he did before the Grizzlies game, he shot the ball very well against the Raptors. He shot the ball very well against the Bucks, all uh, the Heat, you name it. Every Jalen Brown shot the ball very well in the bubble. And if that can continue and he doesn't go 8 of 24 and only hit you know 30% of his shots, that's going to be huge for the Celtics. Huge, huge, huge. Ennis Cantor, very good on the board, speaking about rebounding. We are going to see a lot of Ennis Cantor in this series. And I'll explain why he's so important in a little bit. Then you also have the 76ers and their bench scoring. They had a little blow yesterday. Glenn Robinson III is out for a week, so that puts more pressure on the 76ers bench. And in the four games, the Celtics outscored the 76ers bench by 11 points. So... They're going to have, the bench is going to have to score. That is Time Lord. That is Smart. That is Cantor. We might see some Shemmy, and that's going to be Brad Wanamaker. Those four or five guys have to outscore the 76ers bench because that's more minutes for the 76ers starters, which means Joel Embiid will get more tired, and that will be big. And speaking of Joel Embiid, Joel Embiid in these four games, even though he only played in three of them, averaged 21 points and 10 boards per game. So that's huge. Now, what is going to happen in this series? That's a good question. First off, let me just say this right now and be perfectly blunt. Joel Embiid is going to win the 76ers a game or two, if he cares. It's all about if Joel Embiid cares or not for this series. Joel Embiid can easily go off and get 40 points and 20 boards, if he wants to. And if he doesn't want to, he could go out and shoot one of 11 like he did in February. So the question is, yes, Joel Embiid could be and should be, the best player in this series. We all agree that Jason Tatum is a all-star caliber type player, but a lot of people may look, a lot of GMs in the league may look at Jason Tatum or Joel Embiid. Who do you want to start your franchise with? They might go with Joel Embiid because he's a one, he's a generational type player. He's unbelievable. He can shoot the three. If he cares, he can rebound well. If he cares, he can score a lot in the paint. It's all about if he cares or not. He has to be motivated or not. So is he motivated enough down in this bubble, stuck in a hotel room for two, three, four weeks? That is going to be the question at hand. So that will be very interesting. But the most interesting part about this series is how are the 76ers going to replace Ben Simmons? Ben Simmons is out with a knee injury. Don't think he's going to come back. Everyone's saying most likely he's out for the year. So the positive about Ben Simmons is that it's hard to double team. Or the positive about no Ben Simmons is that it's going to be harder to double team. Marcus Smart could come down and help Tice on, or Kemba could come down and help Tice on Ennis Cantor. But the the issue is is Simmons can't shoot, so you could double team Joel Embiid and just say, okay, if Ben Simmons gets the ball at the top of the key, someone just has to recover before he gets to the free throw line, and then we just have. Because at that point, then he'll have to shoot it, and you let Ben Simmons shoot it. But in this case, Shake Milton, Mike Scott, Tobias Harris, Josh Richardson, and even Al Horford can shoot threes. Now, Joel Embiid doesn't do that great when he gets double team when he has to pass out of it, depending on who it is. Obviously, if he has to pass over Kemba Walker or Marcus Smart, he's going to make it happen. But it'll be very interesting, very, very interesting to see how the Celtics double Embiid knowing that there are much better shooters out on the floor since Ben Simmons isn't there anymore. Obviously, what hurts Ben Simmons 
or the 76ers without Ben Simmons is their transition game because he can get a rebound and dribble and get a layup in like three seconds. But the other thing is that's going to hurt the 76ers is on the defensive end. He can, Ben Simmons can guard spots one to four, and if he wanted to, he could probably guard a center too. Simmons can cover a lot of ground. He's very athletic. He's a good weak side help defender as well. So who's going to step up? And I really think that's going to be Matt Stiebel. Josh Richardson is going to be a great defender. We all know that, and that's going to be very important for the t- for them. So if Thibault and Josh Richardson can lock down Kemba or Jalen, whatever the case may be, that will be very, very interesting. Uh, what else do I want to talk about in this? Oh, three-point shooting and rebounding. I know we talked about rebounding a lot, but I believe whatever team shoots the three-ball better will win this series. The 76ers are the second-best three-point shooting team in the bubble. The Celtics are ninth. The 76ers make 13 out of 31 threes per game. This uh the 70 sorry, the 76ers make 13 out of 31 and the Celtics make 13 out of 37 threes inside the bubble so far. Now, who's the better three-point shooting team overall this year? I believe it's the Celtics, but within the bubble, the 76ers are a much better three-point shooting team, so that'll be very interesting. So, who's going to be making more threes? It's going to be Jalen Brown or Tobias Harris. Is it going to be you know, Josh Richardson or Kemba Walker? Is it going to be Al Horford or Jason Tatum? Is it going to be Mike Scott or Marcus Smart? Is it going to be Joel Embiid or Daniel Tice? It's going to be very interesting. So three-point shooting, I think, is going to be a very interesting part into this series, as well as rebounding. Here's the thing about the rebounding situation. The Celtics have rebounded the ball very well in the bubble. They did not rebound the ball very well in the regular season against the 76ers. The 76ers are eighth. The Celtics are fourth. The Celtics cannot let the 76ers get offensive rebounds and turn them into open threes. For example, Joel Embiid gets a rebound. He realizes that there's four Celtics around him, and he kicks it out, and Tobias Harris is waiting there in the corner, sticking a three. That cannot happen. He can dish out quickly on an offensive rebound versus a double team. But you also got to think Horford can rebound well. Scott can rebound well. Mattis Thibault's a rookie. Kind of has that Marcus Smart mentality of, I don't give a fuck. And we'll just go after it and go get it, no matter what it takes. If he gets fouled, so be it. The other thing that I'm looking forward into, or looking forward to, not into, but looking forward to, is Brad Stevens versus Brett Brown. Brett Brown is on the hot seat for the 76ers, and Brad Stevens just got an extension, as we all know. But Brad Stevens has to be light years ahead of Brett Brown coaching-wise in this series. I know that may sound laughable, but it... It has to happen. Brad cannot overthink. Brad has to use his timeouts properly. Brad has to lead this team. He really does. How does Brad go? How does Brad go? I don't know. Is he going to go eight, nine, nine guys? Like we we know what the starting five is going to be. It's going to be Tice, Tatum, Brown, Walker, and Hayward. We know that. You got Cantor and Smart. They're definitely playing. Wanamaker will probably play. How much does he play the Time Lord? Does he bring in Shemi? I don't know. Like, I don't think we're going to see a lot of Grant Williams in this series. I don't know if we're going to see a lot of Shemi, but it would be great to not have Grant Williams or Shemi playing, but have Brandon Clark playing. Sorry, I throw that in again. But the Celtics cannot lose off the bench. They can't. They, the 76ers still have Alex Burke. They still have Mike Scott. They have Cormaz or whatever his name is off the bench. He can shoot the ball well. Al Horford could be coming off the bench. I think Al Horford's going to start on the bench and then switch things up and make Cantor and Time Lord work. So that will be interesting because 
Here's the thing, folks. Al Horford, when he was with the Celtics, what did we want him to do? Defend, right? He was the defensive leader. If he can control Giannis, he might be able to control Jalen Brown or Jason Tatum because Giannis is better than both of them. I think we can agree, right? If Giannis can get his against Al Horford, I'm going to go out on a limb and say Al Horford, um, I don't think can stop them, but can control them. So that will be interesting. So that's why I'm like, go, I'm up in the air, whether it's if they have Thibault come out and just attack Jalen or Jason, and then Horford comes off the bench and then just absolutely destroys Cantor because Al Horford is better in the pick and roll when Cantor's on the floor because Cantor is a terrible defender with the pick and roll. And you could have, you know, Shake Milton against Marcus Smart and Ennis Cantor. And I think Shake Milton and Al Horford probably win that pick and roll battle against Smart and Cantor just because Cantor is such a bad defender. So I feel like I just like went down a deep dark hole. So I'm sorry about that. So who is going to be the most important players on each team for this series? That's going to be the big question. And then I also have three things that I'm worried about. So first off, the most important players for the 76ers, and I know this is going to sound so basic and so cliche, but it's going to be Joel Embiid and Tobias Harris. Tobias Harris is now officially the number two guy with Simmons out. Can he step up in a big situation like this? Tobias Harris can score the ball well. Good three-point shooter, shoots the ball well around the elbow, but can Jalen Brown, can Gordon Hayward, can Jason Tatum defend him and limit his shots and then have them rely on Josh Richardson or Shake Milton? That's, that's the question there. Can Al Horford push Joel Embiid to beat his former team and give him that edge that we have really yet to see from Joel Embiid, where he could just go out, dominate, and win a series. Because I think we all wanted to play the 76ers. I think we would still want to play the 76ers with Ben Simmons, because I think we are the better team. Actually, I know we are the better team. But the question is, can we play like the better team? And Joel Embiid could, could change that up. So I really think the most important players for the 76ers are Joel Embiid and Tobias Harris. Who are going to be the most important players for the Celtics? Sure, you could say Kemba. Sure, you could say Jalen. Because Jalen has to shoot better than he did. Sure, you could say Tatum. Sure, you could say Hayward. But it's going to be the Time Lord. It's going to be Ennis Cantor. It's going to be Daniel Tice. How are they going to control the boards? How are they going to control Ennis, I mean, uh, Joel Embiid? How are they going to do that? Tice and Time Lord combined have to outplay Al Horford. And then Cantor, Cantor can be physical with Joel Embiid. Cantor's going to get in foul trouble. Cantor's going to get a technical eventually during this series because he's going to complain. And same with Tice, because let's be honest, Tice never gets a call. And I hate to be that guy to talk about the refs, but Daniel Tice gets the crap end of the sticks. Even the national ESPN, TNT people, they know. There's going to be some calls that we don't agree with in this series. Joel Embiid's going to get to the free throw line a lot. I wouldn't be surprised if you see Joel Embiid taking 14 to 15 free throws a game. But if Cantor, Time Lord, and Tice can rebound the ball well and be very physical with Embiid and Horford, I think the Celtics can win this series easily. But it's up to the three of them. Because Jalen's going to get his. Jason's going to get his. Gordon has been playing out of his mind with that mustache in the bubble. Kemba should do well. 
It's one of my worries that we'll talk about in a second. But those three bigs, we now have three centers. I wish they all equaled into one and we'd have one hell of a center, but we don't. So it's going to be center by committee in this series to hopefully control and slow down Joel Embiid. All right. My three worries about this series. Number one, the Celtics giving us a heat-like performance. Now, for those of you that watched the third game, yeah, was it the third game for the Celtics in the bubble? Yeah, against the yeah, because they played the Trailblazers. Yeah, they played the Bucks, the Trailblazers, and then, and then the Heat. That Heat game was very frustrating. They started off poorly. They were down. They kind of got back into it. Then they got down again. They got frustrated with the refs. They got into foul trouble, and it was a really bad game. That's what I'm worried about, just because we haven't seen it in like a week, and it's bound to happen. I really think we're going to have one of those games. Excuse me. Where the Celtics just absolutely play like dog shit. And it's going to drive us all insane. So that's my number one worry. Is that the Celtics could get really frustrated. Not be on the same page. Not in the same defensive rotations. Not in the same rhythm. Now if you think about it. The starters. The last time they played was uh, t- last Tuesday. So it's six days since they played you know, a real game. And I believe when the 76ers played the Rockets... Uh, I think it was this past Friday, everyone played, even Embiid, even though Embiid has a little bit of a sore ankle, supposedly. The number two worry that I have is Jason Tatum going cold for a game or two. Not saying two or f- two for 18 is going to happen again, but not saying 10, or th- 10 out of 13 can happen again either. Tatum might have a hard time posting up Harris or Horford, but if they put Horford on him, he's going to have to work. He really and truly is. He's going to have to work for every single basket. I want Tobias Harris on him, but I think Matt will be on him, and he's a hell of a, def- hell of a defender. So I think Tatum is really going to have to work. Tatum might not get the calls that he wants, and Tatum, as we all know, this year has gotten very frustrated and very annoyed with some calls that he hasn't gotten and doesn't hustle back on defense. So that is a worrisome for me that Jason Tatum could have one of those cold nights where he doesn't shoot the ball that well. The rest of the team shoots okay, but the 76ers shoot the ball better, and they get a W. And then finally, this is my biggest worry of all, and I hate hate to compare him to Isaiah Thomas, but Kemba Walker has an issue when longer guys defend him. Josh Richardson is a hell of a defender. Josh Richardson is a lot bigger than Kemba Walker. Josh Richardson or Mattis Thibel Guarding Kemba Walker is going to be an issue for Kemba Walker. Sure, Kemba's knee looks great. Sure, Kemba's knee feels great. Sure, he has that little burst. But if you put someone on him that's three, four inches taller with a really long wingspan, Kemba is going to have a hard time, A, getting to the rim, B, getting an open shot, and C, even looking over these defenders and hopefully finding someone. So I'm very worried about Kemba having a long defender on him. Because, you know, we talk about the Eastern Conference Finals, or, I'm sorry, not the Eastern, yeah, the Eastern Conference Finals with IT, or whatever the case may be. You know, that Washington Wizards series in the second round where Olenek went off in Game 7. Those, those games with IT, those big playoff games, he sucked when there was a big defender on him. Like when Josh Smith, uh, Josh Smith, Jared Smith was on him, he sucked. So, Kemba Walker having a bigger defender on him is going to drive me nuts. I guarantee it. And it might drive you nuts too. 
But the second I see Josh Richardson getting in a defensive stance against Kemba Walker, I'm instantly nervous. Because here's the thing. If Kemba goes into a pick and roll with, let's say, Jalen Brown and Tobias Harris is guarding him, Tobias Harris isn't that great of a defender, but he's bigger and longer. And I know Kemba ain't afraid of anything, and I know Kemba isn't afraid of anyone. But a longer defender is not good for the Celtics. So it'll be interesting to see how Brad gets open shots for him. And I think because of that, we're going to see a lot of transition three-pointers from Kemba. I really do. It'll be very, very frustrating if they don't go in, but it'll be very, very great if they do go in. So here are my game-by-game predictions. All right, Celtics are going to win tonight. They're going to win game one. And then Embiid's going to say, screw this. And the Celtics are going to lose game two. And Embiid's going to go for 40-20 and 20 in game two. He's just going to go absolutely ballistic. Celtics win game three. Celtics win game four. They get cocky, lose game five in a heat game type fashion, just super frustrating. And then they win game six and move on to the second round. So I have the Celtics in six. The I think the 76 are shooting. I think Joel Embiid can definitely win them a game. But the overall team with the coach – the better players, more of the Celtics are more of a team than the 76ers are. I feel like the 76ers remind me of that Celtics team from a couple years back with Gordon and Kyrie. They all just don't like each other. Like it just doesn't work. It looked good on paper, but it just doesn't work out. So that is the series preview for the 76ers Celtics round one bubble playoff matchup. I will have another episode out tomorrow recapping Game 1 and previewing Game 2. And then there will be another podcast out on Thursday after Game 2. And then another one out on Monday after Game... No, Saturday after Game 3. And then Monday after Game 4. And so on and so forth. So I know I babbled a lot. I've, I wrote down a lot of notes about this because I'm really excited about this series. I feel like the Celtics really need this series. It will, it will really help them... If they can move on, I think it will really help them against what will most likely be the Toronto Raptors. And for those of you that like my other NBA knowledge outside of the Celtics, my series prediction are going to be Bucks in five, Raptors in four, Celtics in six, Heat in six, Lakers in seven, Clippers in five. Nuggets beat the Jazz in six, and then I have the Thunder beating the Rockets in seven. So those are going to be my predictions for the 2019 or the 2020 NBA playoff first round matchup. So thanks again for listening. The playoffs are here. Get excited. Let's go, Celtics. Go get Banner 18 for the love of God. Give me some positivity in this year of 2020. You can find me on the Twitter machine at Banner Banter 18 or on Facebook and Instagram at Banner Banter Podcast. Thank you guys so much for listening as always, whether it's on Spotify, iTunes, Google Play Music, Stitcher, Podbean, whatever the case may be. Thank you so much for listening. I really appreciate it. It's my favorite time of the year, even though it's weird that it's not April, but whatever. It's August. They both start with the letter A. Here we go. The playoffs are here. Thanks again for listening. I'm going to shut up now. Toodles and noodles, X's and O's. Sorry, but I'm gone. I'm history. And I dedicated my life to the Boston Celtics. I dedicated my life to the fans of Boston. I did my very best to please each and every one of you. Good night.